What's up, what's up, bitches? Welcome back to another episode of Positively Uncensored, your favorite reality TV and interview podcast. It's your host, Leah, and I'm excited for this episode. Believe it or not, I have a lot I want to talk to you all about, despite the fact I just recorded an episode. I feel like I'm on top of it, I'm on my shit, and I just keep thinking of things that I want to talk about with you all, and new shows keep coming out left and right, so I'm literally not left without topics. So this episode, I want to talk about how I'm finally caught up on the new Barbie movie. It's out on a streaming. I rented it on Amazon. I watched it twice within the 48-hour period, and both times it was a 10 out of 10 for me. I laughed. I cried. Everything in between. I absolutely loved the movie. I really, really wasn't sure, everybody. Like... The hype was there, but the movie was so good. So I want to talk about it. I also want to talk about the first chapter of Set Boundaries, Find Peace, the book that we're reading for this month's book club. And I want to go into the first chapter. It's almost 30 pages long, so I figure it you know, took a minute to get through and absorb. It had a lot of good tidbits in it. I underlined things that stuck with me. I I can't like just pick things that I think will resonate with everybody. So I am going to keep this authentic and genuine. I'm going to talk about the things that resonated with me. If they happen to resonate with you as well, it'll be a great conversation starter. If I missed anything that really you know, hit home with you, make sure to write into the podcast. Let me know what you're loving about the book, what you've taken notes on, what we have in common. This is a time for us to connect. So this is going to be my Barbie and book club episode. So it'll be short, it'll be sweet, and I'm going to save the rest of my updates on, you know, TV entertainment for another episode. This one will just be the two, the two B's, baby. Let's get into Barbie first because I'm excited and it's fresh on my brain. So if you haven't seen Barbie, obviously skip this part. If you've seen it, which you probably have because I've gotten loads and loads of messages about when are you seeing Barbie? When are we talking about Barbie? So I'm the one who's behind here. Anyways, even the start of Barbie, I knew that I was going to be locked in. It was going to be something different than what I was expecting. And it was all across the board. I tried my best to tune out spoilers. I saw that America Ferreira had an epic quote in the movie. Every time I saw something like it pop up, I skipped it. So I tried to not even pay attention to like the iconic quotes and to be truly surprised. So I truly knew nothing. So opening scene, we had the little girls Um, playing with baby dolls and they talk about the fact that girls toys are just taking care of little babies and it's you know more of learning our duties that we are to fulfill later on in life set the example for that and it's almost like hard work you know caring caring for your little baby doll playing with it with all your friends and then suddenly there's a new kind of play for little girls And hence, here comes Barbie. She's just a doll. She's a doll who can be anything and does anything. She's not an infant that needs coddled and needs her diaper changed. She was a representation of anything that little girls could do and anything that they wanted to be 
and like kind of like who they could model when they grow up. So premise of Barbie itself, cute. I like the fact that it showed the negatives too, because of course there is the white feminine white feminism aspect of Barbie where not very much representation. Most of Barbie's features are white. Most of the dolls are white. Most of the girls who bought them were white. There wasn't very much representation. It also models the exact societal body standards that we are trying to reject as women. The small waist, the big boobs, you know, the sculpted legs, um, the plasticity, the perfection, everything about it and not having any realness to it was like a stigma that's been put on women for a long time. So the movie acknowledges both parts. It has the problems, the issues with promoting capitalism and, you know, excess plastic and producing wasteful consumerism. But it also talks about what Barbie was supposed to do and kind of like in Barbie land, things are the way that the world should be for women. So there are so many small little nuggets. I like how the movie ended and simply said that someday in Barbie land, the Kens will have as much power as the women do in the real world, which is pretty much nothing. You barely see Kens, like you see Kens throughout the movie, but they don't have their own story. Kens just not important. Ken says it best himself. There's no, you know, it's Ken and Barbie. It's not just Ken and Barbie has to teach him. Maybe it's Ken and maybe it's Barbie. Maybe it's not Ken and Barbie. You know, maybe you have worth on your own. But the movie both starts and ends with pointing out that Ken only has a good day when Barbie looks at him. Barbie has a good day every day. Applying this to the real world, there are tons of men who do not have a good day unless a woman pays attention to them. If you ask a lot of men what the most, like, what is, what drives the world, a lot of them will either say money or pussy. I know that because I've, I've heard that question asked. Maybe this is a millennial thing. Gen Z, God bless you. Maybe your generation is kept from this. Maybe you guys grew up with the asshole millennial brothers and sisters who bullied you and tormented your friends and hated women and taught you early on that that's exactly what you grew up to not want to be like. And it's sort of like a resentful thing. But as for the millennial generation and older, this is how a lot of men live their lives. You know, They want a woman on their arm. They want a woman to adorn them. They want a woman to take care of them. And women, we just want to simply be. And there's really no doing that. The movie also has good notes because at the end, when I, like I said, it brought it back around. And when the humans were in Barbie land and they're kind of asking, well, where do the Kens go at night? She's like, I don't know, actually. I don't know what the Kens do. It's such a good example for like, where are the women? You can go to a company sometimes and look at the board of executives. It's all men. You can look at the cabinet in government. It's all men. You can go to a business anywhere. This is really anywhere. And it's all men. And it's like, well, where are the women? What do they do? Well, they get the coffee. Oh, they help us. Oh, they're not here, actually. 
And the irony of Barbie, Mattel, being run by Will Ferrell and all men whose desire was to, let's see, keep women's desires at the forefront. Like, they don't know what little girls want to play with. They don't know what women are looking to see as far as representation. Yet it was all men around the boardroom weighing in on how women should be represented, what we want, what women want to play with. Stupid. And it's just, just like that. The similarities throughout the whole movie are just so good. It's too much. And honestly, shout out to Ryan Gosling. Shout out to Margot Robbie. They did phenomenal. Shout out to Lizzo for who um, sang the song. Shout out to Helen Mirren, the narrator. Every single cast member in Barbie, I wouldn't make any amendments to. I think the entire movie was perfect from beginning to end. Even weird Barbie, Kate McKinnon, who I was a little skeptical on because sometimes she's rambunctious to me on SNL. She killed it and I love the idea of weird Barbie but obviously the part of the movie that everybody talked about the most was the speech that America Ferreira's character made to the Barbies to kind of get them to wake up Margot's Barbie was saying you know I'm just not beautiful anymore I'm not the stereotypical Barbie you know she went from looking perfectly flawless to looking flawless like she didn't have I guess as much makeup on they made a point to Margot Robbie's not the best casting choice if you want to demonstrate this but I get it it's that standard that women are held to of absolute perfectionism that nothing else is acceptable so one appearance of cellulite on your skin is going to make you feel like less than or just experiencing a little bit of irrepressible depression is enough to make you feel like you're screaming inside your own body and like something isn't normal so these small things that barbie was going through is relatable it's enough to make you feel alienated as a woman with the standards for perfection being so high but you know she tells her you're beautiful and i hate watching women do this to ourselves. I hate watching women wrap themselves up and try to be something that we cannot be. We cannot be strong, independent, yet empathetic and, you know, mommy people. We cannot be small and petite and thin, yet also have the perfect ass and the perfect boobs, nor is it meant for you and your gaze. Sometimes it is truly meant for us. We do not have to build up an ego while, you know, not allowing things to fly because if we call them out, then we're rude. Everything she said was just so on point. It's something that all women experience. I like the fact it didn't feel white feminism. You know, I like the fact that the daughter said, okay, white savior Barbie, and Barbie brings it back to America Ferreira's character. Small moments like that were very impactful and meant a lot to women. This movie is going to be talked about for a long time. I think if you have a secure man in your life that's straight, he's going to be able to watch this movie and appreciate it for the comedy, the message, the value, all of it. So Barbie is like, should Barbie 
be how you figure out if you're potential to date someone. Like if you're if you're straight and you're looking to like find a man, ha- put on Barbie, okay? On your guys's first date where you feel comfortable enough hanging out with him at the house. Put on Barbie and see his reaction. If he goes on some tandem about how this is a woke piece of shit or men aren't really like this, never do a second date. Never do a second date. He will feel like you emasculate him. He will put you into the stereotypical gender roles. The, Barbie may literally be the the answer, like the algorithm. So let me know if anybody else is receptive to that. I think it could be the dating test for 2023-2024. Another big part to me was just Ken and how he felt seeing the men's representation in the world. Like, so I've already mentioned that Ken's don't hold much power in Barbie land. The trip and the irony of this movie is that Ken's are actually representing the women. However, Barbies are still representing women and the power we should have. Like this movie is kind of a mind fuck because there's double in there's double either innuendos or whatever word you want to use. The two things apply to the same characters. So this movie's a mind fuck. I've thought about that multiple times, but Anyways, Ken goes into the real world. He sees that men have it fucking made. It's men, it's horses, it's patriarchy. It's getting into places where you don't deserve to be potentially just off of being a man and yielding that power of men, men, men. Like they did such a good job of demonstrating that. The Another huge part to me was when they first even got to California and they have their skates on and they're skating into Santa Monica and Barbie feels for the very first time what being uncomfortable and what being scared and what that toxic heteronormativity and lust after women is. And she says there is, you know, a dangerous undertone. And Ken, who's being received and looked at by the very same men that are looking at Barbie, is like, I feel seen and I don't feel, you know, an aggressive undertone at all or danger. I actually feel just appreciated, you know, and respected. And that is how it feels to be a woman, you know, scrutinized in like anything you're wearing around the the wrong crowd can feel too revealing. You can have a shirt that's scoop neck on and that feel too revealing. You can have shorts on that don't go all the way to your kneecap and that feel too revealing around the wrong crowd of men who feel the need to express their sexuality by using your body as a vessel for it that that was demonstrated in that scene there. So his inability to understand what Barbie's going through, to see her discomfort, to recognize the danger of the situation and be so aloof while enjoying and maintaining his security inside of his bubble of privilege, that's a great representation. To further, so the Ken's Ken goes in there, sees what the power men held. He goes back to California. Another great example is he just leaves Barbie. Barbie is in chaos. This is his situation where Ken could be Prince Charming. Like if Ken was an example of true masculinity, of true um, 
what is it called, chivalry and, you know, putting women first. And if he, if he truly wanted to make Barbie the center of his world, he would have cared about Barbie enough to save her or put any effort into her safety, and he can't. It's just about her being his, what did he, what did he call it? Low commitment, long distance, situational girlfriend. It's just about her convenience. It's just about her appearance. Even in danger, he leaves, he goes back to California. He cannot wait to tell the Kens what he has discovered, the power of the patriarchy, and to turn Barbie land into a place where Kens rule. So instantly the Kens take over the houses are fratty, Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa House, which is so fucking douchey. I could perfect, perfect term that they picked in there. Um, just the repetitiveness of the word house in so many different forms is something that I can totally picture like a college age douchebag doing. But so they take over, they switch everything, they make the Barbies. Um basically like wait on them hand and foot. Some Barbies are in scantily clad maid outfits. Some Barbies are giving foot massages. Some Barbies are being mansplained all day by their boyfriends and their whole, they've been brainwashed. Their, the patriarchy has convinced them that their whole purpose is to serve life for Ken's and to serve Ken's. So once the Barbies get back and figure out what's going on and they ultimately re-say that speech that America gives the few Barbies who are there and all of the Barbies come out of it and back to life. Obviously, Barbies take back over as they rightfully should. It's just such a good demonstration of give men a little bit of power, see how fast they try to change things that they don't understand, what happens when they do, because ultimately the Kens went to war. They couldn't stand the power. It bred all this resentment and hostility. The Barbies had it figured out. People were respecting each other. Sure, the emphasis wasn't on Kens, but everybody was living in union unity so barbie is such a good movie 10 out of 10 shout out to the creators greta gerwig shout out to everybody who acted in it all of the writers who assisted in this movie you need to watch barbie and i recommend buying it because it's only five dollars more on amazon and honestly everybody should be able to rewatch barbie on like a period like when you're on your period when you're just feeling down when you just need a girl's night, you should be able to rewatch Barbie. Let's take a really quick break and then get right into Set Boundaries, Find Peace, Part 1. So this book is going to be a wake-up call to a lot of people. This book is the realization that a lot of us don't have healthy boundaries. And that as a result, we are either having struggling relationships with others or with ourselves. This can be internalizing our issues with boundaries, which lead to anxiety, depression, resentment, ghosting someone, inability to communicate with them. Um, Actually, that's probably more external, inability to communicate with them, or externally, such as literally cutting them out of your life, or arguing every time you speak to them, or overstating your boundaries 
as a result of them rejecting your boundaries before or potentially not having boundaries and secretly loathing spending time with this person, um, which, like I said, would affect your relationship. A once healthy friendship where you used to adore this person can easily turn into a situation where you, like I said, hold resentment and you no longer hold space for this person the same way because you have tried to execute boundaries and haven't either followed through or you walked back on them because you felt bad. So having been there, if that's relatable to you, listen to this and then decide if you want to pick the book up or if you're already reading along with me, I'm going to hit the points that stuck out the most to me. But this book's a wake up call. It helps you figure out what boundary issues you're having and setting boundaries is uncomfortable. The author knows this. She is a licensed um, therapist, so she hits on how to navigate this uncomfortableness with your people who you're close with and what to say when they respond to your boundaries. There's a response for everything. So let's get into it. Chapter one, little ASMR as they flip through the book. There's a quiz on page 255. I highly recommend if you, after you've read part one, take the quiz, see what type of boundaries you have. I'm going to put a poll up on my Instagram after this episode so that we can all kind of weigh in together to say, what was your boundary style? Porous, rigid, or healthy? So there's three types. And if you've read part one, then you'll know that. Or if you're reading part one, or if you want to. So, starting with part one, she talks about Kim. Kim is a woman who came into her office, and for you know, for lack of a better words, Kim is any woman. Kim could be any of us. She goes through situations where Kim is just feeling exhausted. And after talking to Kim, it's apparent that she feels exhausted because she has porous boundaries, a.k.a. weak boundaries with almost everybody. She is giving too much of herself and has this mentality that so many women fall into that things can't be done without us. So whether we do this because it's easier than having to over-explain something, um, maybe like learned incompetence or whether we do this because we micromanage and we want it done a certain way or whether we do this because we genuinely believe that when we don't do things for somebody, we are rejecting them. As a woman, like I just said before, this is why I did the Barbie episode together. There are so many expectations of us to be perfect, to be there for everybody, but also not abandon ourselves. This isn't possible. At some point, you're going to have to say no to someone to put yourself first. And if you never put yourself first, then you will end up resenting someone. You could end up resenting your own child. I don't have children. I'm not going to speak as if I do. I have been around enough children. I have enough friends with children. I have been around kids my whole life to know. You can end up resenting the small things that you have to do, whether it's splitting obligations between each parent because you're doing too much or just end up resenting kind of when they're in the house. Like you don't resent them. You love your children, but when they're home, 
no me time. You have to have better boundaries, and it's so hard. So Kim is all of us. She, uh, I underlined that she meets so many people, especially women, who give and give so much only to feel exhausted and even depressed as a result. This is why we live in a culture of burnout. She meant well, right? Talking about Kim. and So Kim has a friend who wants her help moving. Although this comes at a time where Kim doesn't have space for this, she has other obligations, she feels like her friend just can't do it without her. She wants to help, she wants to contribute, but she has an issue with setting boundaries. And as a result, now she has more anxiety, more irritability towards everybody in her life. So she meant well, she wants to help people, but her level of willingness to help was impossible to sustain. She desperately needed to do less. A lot of people resent doing less. And as the author states, we live in a culture of burnout. We live in a culture of do more, work more, um, work beyond your work hours, put in the time to be the CEO. People need to do less. You cannot sustain doing too much. There has to be priorities. There There has to be. You have to prioritize what you have to do. You cannot take on everything at once. That's how you end up in anxiety. Signs that you need healthier boundaries. Now I'm on page five. I observe poor self-care, feelings of being overwhelmed, resentment, avoidance, and other mental health issues as common presentations of boundary issues. Neglecting self-care. When people, when they can't manage to carve out a time to eat a healthy meal or find five minutes to meditate, but they spend hours volunteering at their kids at school every week, this type of imbalance is an immediate sign of boundary issues. It should be pointed out that this author is a mother herself. I, that's part of why I love this. If I did have children, I would need to hear this actively to remind myself to have some boundaries and some space for myself. Self-care is more than taking a spa day, and it isn't selfish. Saying no to help is an act of self-care. So saying no to helping someone else so that you have time for yourself is an act of self-care. Saying no is not rejecting somebody showing them where they are um, in priority-wise in your life. It is not telling someone that you will never be available in the future to so not to ask. It is simply no. Overwhelmed people have more to do than the time required for their tasks. They are drowning in thoughts about squeezing more into an already packed schedule. This type of busyness is an endemic in our culture. Everyone is striving to do more and more. Time is an afterthought, but our well-being is the price. Isn't that true? So you'll give your time and you'll give your commitment to something that you know in the back of your head is depleting your energy, draining your social battery, taking away from your time to restore yourself so that you can show up for that person in the way that you want yourself to be, yet it's so hard to say no. Resentment. When we're resentful, we do things out of obligation to others instead of the joy of helping. Resentment can be palpable. If a client comes in and says, I have to take care of my mother and I feel angry about it, I can immediately pick up the irritation and resentment. Exploring why they perceive pressure and obligation to provide this care allows me to challenge my client's belief. Yes, they want their mother to be taken care of, but they don't have to be the only person providing that care. Implementing boundaries, 
through asking support from other family members and delegating can help alleviate stress. So sometimes it's not saying no, it's delegating, it's sharing responsibility. And for whatever reason, as a woman, I can say that we have issues delegating. Men have issues asking for directions, we have issues delegating. We need to feel comfortable asking for help without bearing the burden of what that does to someone else. I do it all the time. I try to manage everybody's load in my life. You can't manage your load and everybody else's. We have to know that other people are responsible for communicating their boundaries as well. But even in a situation that is as dire and as uncomfortable as taking care of an aging parent, I know because my parents are aging. I'm not there yet. Praise God that they have any sort of Alzheimer's or dementia. I pray that they do not. But I have seen and experienced that, and it is depleting. The sandwich generation, the generation of people whose parents are age 45 to 50, you know, and younger than my parents, they're dealing with this a lot. There's the pressures of taking care of your children who are freshly out of the house or potentially still in the house, then the pressures of taking care of your parents as they age and transitioning from them taking care of you to you taking care of them. And this is draining, especially if you are an only child or especially if you don't have siblings that are involved. And it's important to utilize resources. So reach out to your siblings, however uncomfortable it may be, Talk about how why you need help. Talk about the things that you need help with. Communicate. Make all of the things that need done known. Don't keep things on the back burner that you're just going to take care of. Make all of the responsibilities known. Look out to resources because there are government resources to help with the aging or people who need assistance so that everything does not just fall on you as a caretaker or someone who has someone in your house who, you know, is very ill. You can't be a caretaker 24-7 without putting some time in for yourself. And so however the process may be to implement boundaries, look, I encourage you to look for resources in places to try to help yourself. Avoidance. Disappearing, ignoring, or cutting people off is avoidance. Not responding to a request, delaying setting the record straight, or failing to show up are ways that we avoid situations instead of dealing with them proactively. But prolonging issues by avoiding them means the same issues will reappear over and over again, following us from relationship to relationship. Avoidance is a fear-based response. This, this part was super important because I do this. We all do this. You can get an email. You can get a text. You can say, I'm going to respond to that later. Or And that's fine, by the way. Like we, we do have the right to like not respond to our phones. If we see someone message us something that gives us anxiety and we've waited a week to respond, chances are there's a communication or a boundary issue. We have every right to wait a week to respond to somebody, but I find in my own self, and this is why I said this book is a wake-up call, it's basically reflecting the mirror back at us. So I find within myself that when I don't respond to someone, it's because of lack of implementing a boundary. Typically, something that we've talked about last um, 
was a heavy subject and I was in the middle of doing something and I didn't write back, hey, I'm in the middle of something. I really want to talk about this, but let's get to it later. Instead, I just sat on it and thinking about, oh, fuck, I really need to text back so-and-so so that we can finish that conversation. And then it's permeating in the back of my brain and into everything I do so that no task can have my full attention span, commitment, energy, whatever word. Um, And if that is relatable to you, then you understand avoidance. It can be not talking to a manager about something such as increase in pay, time off. It can be avoiding a conversation with a spouse over help doing the dishes, more, more intimacy together, less time doing something else, you know, One thing to remember is that boundaries are about ourselves and not other people. So we can't just start saying to people, you should do this more, you should do this less. It's about how it makes you feel when you're together and if it directly affects you. But prolonged issues, avoiding something, keeping it in the back burner, you're likely having a boundary issue. I experience it as well. This is why this book is so good. We can talk about this. We can be like, wow, I never realized I had this until I read this book. And I'm skipping sections so that as you read, you can take in everything. But there's signs that you need boundaries. There's tons of good nuggets in here. On to page nine. A boundary is a cue to others about how to treat you. It can be explicit, such as saying, I'm about to share something that I would like for you to keep just between the two of us. Or implicit, such as having a basket for shoes and socks right by the front door for guests. This would imply, when you step in my home, please take off your shoes. Both of these examples are needed. As someone who's both visual and just takes longer to learn things like myself, I needed to understand what those are because I'm harsh on myself in thinking that I don't state boundaries, but body language, small things are boundaries. And a lot of times they are ignored or challenged by people regardless. Our family histories and personalities determine how we implement and accept boundaries. If your family operates on unspoken limits or regularly ignores limits, you will probably grow up lacking the communication skills necessary to be assertive about your needs. Personality determines our comfort level with respecting and rejecting boundaries. People with anxious tendencies are more prone to overreact when challenged. So this makes sense. As And I'm putting myself as an example because I feel like it's appropriate. As somebody who is anxious, when I do finally implement a boundary that I've worked up anxiety on implementing, and, you know, I potentially have over-explained myself or potentially I've beat around the bush a little bit too much to the point where it's unclear what I'm saying or to the point where I am maybe too direct. And it's like, well, where the hell did this come from? Because I'm anxious about setting that boundary or if I'm anxious, like I was prior to therapy, because I have learned how to execute and implement my boundaries well now. I'm a boundary queen, actually, at this point. I'm still learning. I'm still amending things, but I'm good at boundaries now. Before, 
No. So when I implement a boundary and I over-explain myself and mm, I guess I can come, but I, I just want to leave by 10 because I have to be up really early tomorrow. And I, you've already, you already know I've said that I can't really drink very much. I got really sick last time and then blah, 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 just to make myself not sound like the lame friend, just to make myself not sound like the friend who's always dipping out, just to make myself sound more agreeable when really I'm just tired. I want to go home because I'm tired. I want to go home because I don't enjoy drinking. I want to go home because my social battery is depleted. But I don't feel comfortable saying all of those. That feels like rejection. That feels too honest, or at least it did before my boundaries were healthy. So when someone's like, well, you always go home at 10, or when they respond and say, it's kind of early, isn't it? It's a Saturday night. I'm anxious. I just delivered my boundary to you. I was already nervous you were going to reject it. You rejected it. Now I'm annoyed. Well, I'm leaving. I don't feel good. Blah, blah, blah. Or just being curt or just ghosting or avoiding the next six functions out of fear that your boundaries won't be respected. These are all things that I've been through, learned from, and I'm sharing because we can talk about it together. But... Anxious tendencies, if you're anxious, just know that when you implement a boundary, that's how it's going to go <laughs> until you're until you're comfortable with it, until you're healed, until you've been in therapy, all of it. Porous boundaries, now where there's three types of boundaries that I mentioned earlier. So porous boundaries are weak. They're poorly expressed, unintentionally harmful. They lead to feeling depleted, overextended, depression, anxiety, and unhealthy relationship dynamics. Porous boundaries look like oversharing, codependency, inability to say no, people-pleasing, dependency on feedback from others, paralyzing fear of being rejected, accepting mistreatment. Examples of porous boundary setting, saying yes to things you don't want to. Loaning money money to people because you feel obligated when you do not have the funds to do so. Or even giving your time when you do not have the schedule that allows it. That's a porous boundary. At the other extreme is a rigid boundary. Rigid boundaries involve building walls to keep others out as a way to keep yourself safe. But staying safe by locking yourself in is unhealthy and leads to a whole other set of problems whereas porous boundaries lead to unhealthy closeness or enmeshment. Rigid ones are a self-protective mechanism meant to build distance. This typically comes from fear of vulnerability or a history of being taken advantage of. People with rigid boundaries do not allow expectations or exception to their stringent rules, even if it would be healthy for them to do so. And I used to have both, both porous and rigid boundaries. There was there was healthy because I've always been a good communicator. And, and a lot of times, if I was in a safe, healthy relationship, my boundaries were healthy. When I was in a relationship that wasn't very respectful, I implemented a rigid boundary. I implemented a porous boundary. So it's also important that we don't judge ourselves for using discernment with our boundaries. Some people, we just know that they are not going to respect our boundary. No matter how we say it, no matter how little information we give, they're not going to accept it. And we are allowed to discern 
which boundary we use. However, it should be noted that if you have relationships that you know will never accept your boundaries, or if you have relationships that take advantage of you from oversharing, or from your people-pleasing, or from your distance, that you should not stay in those relationships long-term, those friendships. You should think on why you aren't able to just have a healthy boundary and why you have to change yourself or or basically like step out of your name to get something that should be basically accepted, accomplished. But I just wanted to say, we are smart creatures. Like we are smart humans. We use our brains. We use discernment. And having having bad boundaries isn't always an issue of ourself. Sometimes we use discernment because of other people. But if you choose to let those people stay in your life, that is also a boundary. So that goes back to the process. Rigid boundaries look like never sharing, building walls, avoiding vulnerability, cutting people out, having high expectations of others, enforcing strict rules. Examples of rigid boundary setting, saying no harshly as a way to discourage people from asking you in the future. Healthy boundaries are possible when your past does not show up in your present interactions. They require an awareness of your emotional, mental, and physical capacities combined with clear communication. Healthy boundaries look like being clear about your values, listening to your own opinions, sharing with others appropriately, having healthy vulnerability with people who have earned your trust, being comfortable saying no, being comfortable hearing no without taking it personally. Saying an example of healthy boundary setting, saying no without apologizing because it's the healthiest choice for you. Supporting people financially when appropriate and not supporting people when not financially appropriate. So there's two parts to boundary setting. You can set the boundary and then you can actually act on the boundary and make sure that it's implemented. So the action part requires some work on our end. Betting on another person to read your mind is a recipe for an unhealthy relationship. Action is required. For instance, let's say you've told your friend, it's important to me that you honor the plans we set up. If you need to change the plans, send me a text a few hours before. Because you verbally communicated your boundary, when it's violated, you need to reinforce it with action. In this case, you would let your friend know that you can't accommodate the changed plans because you didn't get enough notice. You might say gently, I want to hang out with you, but my schedule won't allow for it for the adjustment. Let's set up, let's set up a time together next week. It's hard, I know, but honoring your boundaries through action is the only way people will understand that you're serious. Period. If we don't give action, then they're not going to know we're serious. And that's what I meant earlier. If we backtrack, if we overexplain, if we walk it back, people aren't going to take us seriously because this is something new. Common ways people respond when you share your boundaries. Pushback. Pushback is a manifestation of the fear that things will be different, of being pushed out of the comfort zone. Even though different doesn't mean bad, some people will struggle with new terms in the relationship. Pushback sounds like, well, I don't know if I can do that. 
this isn't fair. I have things I need to do, but I'm not making you change. And then she says how we handle pushback. Limit testing. This is mostly done by kids. If you have children, read page 16. Ignoring. People ignoring boundaries as a passive-aggressive way of pretending that they didn't hear them. But boundaries should be respected. When people ignore our requests, resentment builds. Over time, this erodes respect in the relationship. Ignoring boundaries looks like doing what they want despite your boundary or acting as if your boundary was misunderstood. Restate your boundary. Request the other person repeat back what you stated and stress the importance of change moving forward. I will need this in future situations as well. Rationalizing and questioning. This is another way that people respond to boundary setting. Since you accepted behaviors in the past that you now deem inappropriate, people will react by asking questions as a way to rationalize their behavior as unproblematic. This is the most important part of chapter one for me. This is it, page 17. We are now deeming something inappropriate that we accepted in the past. And that's what I meant about if we have friends who truly cannot accept a shift in the relationship or a change in boundaries, it's potentially time to cut off that friendship, relationship, even distance yourself if it's family, sorry, um, because there was something happening that you in your body were aware of was wrong. It was either disrespectful, harmful, inappropriate, and now you are changing things. Or potentially you have changed. Something that used to sit okay with you morally does not anymore. And if you communicate a boundary that cannot be respected, then this person may try to rationalize well, you didn't have a problem with it before, or, well, who are you now? This is what you allowed for so long, or to even try to make you feel bad for allowing it, for gaslighting them into how they, how they started treating you that way. This was important to me. Remember that people benefit from you not having limits. You have to look out for yourself. No excuses required. People may question your shift when you've done things that are no longer willing to do. It's okay to let them know that you changed your mind and that the arrangement no longer works for you. I love page 17. If page 17 resonates with you the way it does with me, say, Woo! say, ski, <laughs> lighten this up a little. Yes. Okay. How to handle rationalizing or questioning. Say, fuck you, bitch. Just kidding. Don't do that. You're going to be careful not to explain yourself. You're going to be like saying too much will put us in a back and forth negotiation. So I am just going to state in a calm manner what I need, which obviously I have struggled with before. Defensiveness. This happens when people feel attacked. Another way that they respond to a new boundary being implemented Defensive people are not listening while you're talking. They are personalizing what you say and crafting a response. Their response has much more to do with them than it does with you. They are only focused on getting their needs met and resisting any change in your dynamic. Defensiveness, 
rationalizing, questioning. These are red flags, at least, if these are happening in your relationships when you communicate something important. They are. How to talk to people when they're being defensive. Only two of these resonated with me, so don't talk about old issues with this person while stating your boundary. So when talking about your your boundary, don't group in 10 past experiences as to why the, this is a boundary. Just talk about your boundary. Know your audience. If you can't talk in person, text or email your thoughts. Truly, some conversations are best in person, but when you feel that you know you won't be able to set the boundary face-to-face, set it by any means necessary. This is not a cop-out. Not all of us have interpersonal skills that are all on the same level. Not all of us have lives to where we feel comfortable addressing things the same way as others, and I'm not going to villainize someone for that. For me, Setting a boundary is respected whether it's face-to-face, over the phone, or in text. I would expect the same from my friends, from my colleagues, from anybody in my life. You could text me, I'm not available this weekend, I'm sorry, I thought I was, and that's fine. You could call me and say that, and that's fine. There's There's no difference. However, I acknowledge that for some people, if you get them on the phone... Here comes all of the defensiveness, the the rationalizing, the questioning, 10, 10 forms to combat your boundary within a minute versus texting them and then turning your phone off, which sure may go back to unhealthy boundary setting, but at least you've set the boundary. You've set the boundary. You can see what they respond to. If they respond with a challenge, just restate your boundary and then leave it. That's that. Then it's out of your court. That's when you start getting the, the cutting shears. And if they start ghosting you or icing you out and there's no amendments you can make in this friendship and that's truly the dynamic between you and your friend, uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. How to handle ghosting. Let's see. What does it say about ghosting? Okay, so ghosting is when people disappear in an unhealthy response to boundaries. So let's say you tell your friend that, hey, I can't make it to your birthday party. I'm so sorry. I have a work obligation that day. And then you just never hear from them. That's ghosting, okay? And how do you respond when that happens? You send a precise text message or email mentioning the behavior that you're noticing. People are likely to respond because they don't want to seem upset when they are. Ghosting is a passive-aggressive way to deal with boundaries. When someone ghosts you, they're being passive-aggressive and likely saying, hey, I've noticed your distance. Um, Can we talk about the other day and like how you're feeling after? Immediate response, hey, um, I've actually just been busy. Something like that. Something like that. Tell me I'm wrong, ladies. Tell me I'm wrong. Silent treatment. Silent treatment's another response. The person will noticeably be distant after you assert your need. So you've stated, I'm uncomfortable with this. Maybe you've told your boyfriend, I'm uncomfortable with you texting this person. You've told your boyfriend, maybe, I wish we could spend more time together. You've told your colleague at work. Hey, um, I don't really want to talk about my personal life more than outside of what we did over the weekend. I hope you can respect that. I just want to keep it professional. And then they, they don't talk to you anymore. They ice you out. Silent treatment, cold shoulder. You don't exist anymore. You're trying to change my dynamic. You just rejected me. Okay. Red flag. 
acceptance, despite all the fear around boundary setting, in most experiences, people will graciously accept your request. When people respond in unhealthy ways, it's typically a sign that you needed limits a long time ago and that you need to reevaluate the relationship to assess whether your needs are being met satisfactorily. Snap, snap, snap. Clap, clap, clap. Nedra, Nedra gets it every day of the week. She gets it. Name a better chapter one. Name a better chapter one of a book. Everything, everything just is, just hits. It just hits next level. It's on it. It's on the money. Most likely, you've been denying issues for too long. Like I said, this book is called The Wake Up Call. I'm, I'm re- renaming it. Not really, because Set Boundaries Find Peace is great. But chapter one, The Wake Up Call. Chapter one, <laughs> Spider-Man meme. Look at yourself in the mirror. The boundary problems is you. Because I experienced this. I've read this book already. I'm rereading it. And I'm still pointing the finger back at myself like, damn, you let up on some things and you need to get back into it. So let's look at your boundaries, people. Look at your boundaries. Let me know if this book is like eye-opening. Boundaries are the cure to most relationship problems, but both parties have to participate and respect the boundaries on either sides. Work. Now we're going to talk about areas that commonly need boundaries. Work is an area that commonly needs boundaries. Whether you work from home or work in the office, your boundaries can still be encroached upon. You better believe that COVID... The work from home, everybody wanted to work from home. Working from home is great, but it creeps into your alone time. Your bedroom, your house is no longer your safe space where you go to unwind and forget about the day. It is where you are thinking about work and clocked in and logged into your computer. I'm taking a sip of Coke. Overwork is more often within your control than you think. It comes from having porous boundaries with your boss, your team, and your time. Limits can help you maintain a healthy work-life harmony. Romance. Boundary issues also come from putting way too many unspoken expectations on the other person. When it comes to love, for some reason, we all want our partner to read our minds and know something we want without having to ask. But this is an impossible expectation. Friendships. Toxic friendships, we've all had them. One day you look around and think, why am I even friends with this person? They consistently blank. Fill in the blank and let me know. Friends are your chosen family, and these relationships should bring ease, comfort, support, and fun to your life, not excess drama. Technology. Okay, this author knows technology. Adults and teenagers are reporting higher levels of anxiety and depression due to FOMO and comparison games that arise from social media consumption. Infidelity is on the rise due to inappropriate usage of apps and social media. Technology brings new interpersonal challenges to the human experience and it isn't going anywhere. 
Technology will continue to advance at a rapid rate, so it's necessary to have limits in place to help you protect your happiness and relationships in the face of this pace. <sighs> technology, technology. Destroying relationships, making relationships, breaking relationships, faking relationships. Yeah, we're going back to like cat finder or whatever it's called. What's it called when you catfish? There we go. Catfish. So that's part one. It ends with some exercises where you go to page 255 in the book. You take the boundary quiz. You're going to look at some of your boundaries, times where you should have said no, how you should have said no. I loved part one of this book. I really hope that between the Barbie, the boundaries, I just hope that this was a feel-good episode. I hope it was empowering, uplifting, you know, some good mental health tidbits for the week. Everybody remember, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not a therapist. I did a bachelor's in psychology. I tend to look at things from a very introspective perspective. I've done a lot of self-work. I am in therapy, but I am not a therapist. So I am reading a book by a therapist. She's a New York Times bestseller, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. Um, But just remember, you know, I'm not giving advice from myself. So remember that. Keep that in mind and with a grain of salt as you listen. Um, But let me know what stuff resonates with you all. Like I said, I'm dying to connect always. My next episode I put out is going to be all about some of the new shows I've been watching. If you haven't watched The Other Black Girl on Hulu, it just came out. I thought there was only two episodes. I thought this was a weekly thing. No, all 10 episodes are out. I am hooked. First episode, hooked immediately. I already finished the show Shelter on Amazon Prime. It was by Harlem Coben, I believe. There's also a book. Um... So both of those series were good. Kind of trigger warning for Shelter. Dark theme. Microaggressions in there that pissed me off. Um, So if you watch it, just know that. Uh, Let's see, what else did I watch? Survive the Raft. I watched the recent episode. I'll potentially talk about it. It's so infuriating. I'm mostly just talking about it on my TikTok. So reminder, if you don't have me on TikTok, follow me there. I've also done like a first look at all of the Love is Blind cast members for season five. Parts one and two are up already. I'm going to do part three after I finish this episode. So make sure to follow Positively Positively Uncensored on Instagram, on TikTok. Follow me on all the things. If this is your first time listening to an episode, stay tuned. Next time I'm going to be talking about Golden Bachelor, The Other Black Girl, Bachelor in Paradise, Love is Blind, and Real Housewives of New York, which had a crazy, crazy episode last week, actually. So stay tuned. Come back. Love you all, as always. Enjoy the rest of your week. Mwah.